bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, April 30th, 2013. Last week was a big week for tax credit news. So I'll start this week's podcast with an update on developments related to tax reform in Congress. Then, in our New Market Tax Credit segment, I'll discuss the long-awaited 10th round of New Market Tax Credit Allocation Awards. Then, in our Low-Income Tax Credit segment, I'll discuss the Ways and Means Committee hearing on tax reform and residential real estate. That hearing lasted four hours and featured several discussions about the low-income housing tax credit. In this week's Renewable Energy discussion, I'll share an important update from the IRS, which last week revised the guidance in Notice 2013-29 regarding binding written contracts. I'll also discuss a piece of legislation that was reintroduced in Congress last week that would allow renewable energy investors to form master limited partnerships, or MLPs. And finally, in this week's historic tax credit section, I have an update on the historic Boardwalk Hall case. Also, I'll discuss the National Park Service's annual report on the historic tax credit for the fiscal year 2012. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, last week there was big political election news. Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus announced that he will retire in 2014 and not seek re-election. Now, Chairman Baucus, as head of the Senate Finance Committee, has been and will be a key player in tax reform. Following his announcement, there has been a lot of speculation about whether or not his decision to retire and not run for re-election would increase or decrease the likelihood of tax reform being contemplated in the 113th Congress. There are many arguments as to why it would increase and arguments as to why it would decrease. On balance, it probably doesn't make that much of a difference. And then in related news, though, on the House side, political reports that last week House Republicans launched an aggressive, behind-the-scenes push towards tax reform. The effort is reported to include a series of briefings led by small groups of rank-and-file lawmakers, led by Ways and Means Chairman Dave Camp, to explain the discussion draft bills that he's proposed for corporate tax reform. Political also reports that in addition to these larger briefings, Chairman Camp has been meeting privately with every freshman Republican lawmaker to discuss tax reform. In addition, Chairman Camp held a hearing last week on tax reform and residential real estate. Now I'll discuss that in more detail later in today's podcast. In new market tax credit news, I want to begin this week by congratulating the 85 community development entities that received awards in the 10th New Market Tax Credit Allocation Round. Now here are some of the highlights. In the 10th round, 282 CDEs applied for allocations, requesting a total of just under $22 billion in allocations. Last week, 
the CDFI have made allocation awards totaling the congressionally authorized $3.5 billion, or about 16% of the total amount requested by applicants. The 85 successful CDEs represent approximately 30% of the total applicant pool. Allocation awards range in size from $15 million to as high as $80 million. The median allocation amount was $40 million, and the average, or the mean, allocation amount was $41.2 million. Geographically, the CDFI fund reports that since the inception of the program, new market tax credit investments have been made in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. However, as many of our listeners know, as part of the 2012 New Market Tax Credit Program application process, the CDFI fund identified 10 states, Puerto Rico, and island areas of the U.S. as areas that have received fewer investments, as measured by dollars of investment in proportion to their state population, living in low-income communities. Applicants in this round were asked what percentage of their allocation they were willing to commit to investing in these areas. The 2012 NMTC allocatees committed to investing a minimum of $421 million in these states or areas. In addition, the CDFI fund reports that a majority of investments will also be made in particularly economically distressed communities. All, that's right, all 85 allocatees committed to providing at least 75% of their investments in areas characterized by multiple indicia of distress significantly greater indicia of distress than required by NMTC program rules or high unemployment rates. To learn more about April's allocations, to meet allocatees, and to forge new partnerships, I invite you to join us at the Novogratic Spring New Market Tester Conference in Washington, D.C. It'll be June 6th and June 7th. You can register online at www.novoco.com. Simply click on the events link. In low-income housing tax credit news, Last week, the House Ways and Means Committee held a hearing on tax reform and residential real estate. The hearing consisted of two panels. The first panel featured economists and researchers, including representatives from the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center and the Congressional Research Service. The second panel featured real estate professionals representing major industry organizations, including Robert Dietz, Assistant Vice President for Tax and Policy Issues with the National Association of Home Builders, and Bob Moss. Bob Moss was appearing on behalf of the Housing Advisory Group. The hearing lasted four hours and featured numerous discussions about the low-income housing tax credit. Now, during the first panel, some criticisms of the program were made and some questions were posed about the tax credit's effectiveness and efficiency. Fortunately, several of the congressmen on the Ways and Means Committee are familiar with the low-income housing tax credit, and one in particular, Select Revenue Measures Subcommittee Chairman Pat Tiberi spoke during the first panel in support, passionately I would say, in support of the tax credit, calling it the best of both worlds. You can see a clip of Chairman Tiberi's remarks on the Novogratic YouTube channel. Simply Google Novogratic YouTube Tiberi. In addition, during the second panel, the witnesses with expert knowledge of the Lincoln Housing Tax Credit were able to speak on its behalf. Robert Dietz, in his testimony, urged lawmakers to maintain the low-income housing tax credit, calling it a critical, affordable rental housing program. In his written testimony, Mr. Dietz details the strengths of the housing tax credit and cites research that confirms its value and effectiveness. The next witness 
Bob Moss, focused exclusively on the local housing tax credit in his testimony. He told the committee that unlike most tax expenditures under consideration during the hearing that largely encourage activity at the margin, activity that would occur at some level without the tax credit or the tax deduction, the tax code support, if you will, that there would be virtually no affordable housing development without the low-income housing tax credit. Mr. Moss also responded to a number of inquiries posed by lawmakers about the program, about more specifically topics such as the level of need for affordable housing. Nova Grad and Company will publish a highlight reel of the remarks and exchanges from the hearing that address the low-income housing tax credit. So stay tuned. We'll post it on the Novogratic YouTube channel as well. And this might be better than reviewing the YouTube channel. Why don't you register to join us in New Orleans for the Novogratic Affordable Housing Tax Credit Conference? It'll be May 16th and 17th. This hearing, tax reform in general, and other hot topics will be covered in a series of expert panel discussions. You can sign up or review the agenda, or both, online at www.novaco.com events. In renewable energy tax credit news, as Chad Burnham Park's Keith Martin predicted at the Novogratic Financing Renewable Energy Conference last week in San Francisco, the Internal Revenue Service last week updated notice 2013-29 to clarify guidance regarding binding written contracts. Regular listeners may recall that the IRS originally issued Notice 2013-29 on April 15, Tax Day, to provide guidance regarding beginning construction of facilities that are eligible for the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit or Investment Tax Credit. This deals with the beginning of construction tasks for the end of this year. A provision of the notice previously had said that a manufacturing, construction, or production contract is only binding if it is enforceable under local law against the taxpayer or predecessor and this is the key, does not limit damages to a specified amount. This meant that the contract could have no liquidated damages provision. Now, the revised version of the notice says that a contractual provision that limits damages to amount equal to at least 5% of the total contract price will not be treated as limiting damages to a specified amount. Now, if you have any questions about the guidance that was provided in notice 2013-29, Simply contact my partner, Stephen Tracy, in our San Francisco office, or my partner, Tony Grapponi, in our Boston office. Now let's turn to MLPs. A bipartisan group of lawmakers last week reintroduced the Master Limited Partnerships Parity Act. Senators Chris Coons, Jerry Moran, Debbie Stabenow, and Lisa Mikowski are all original co-sponsors of the legislation. The Master Limited Partnership Parity Act is an expanded version of Senate Bill 3275 that was introduced but not enacted in 2012. This new bill would allow renewable energy investors to form Master Limited Partnerships, or MLPs. An MLP is a business that is taxed as a partnership, however, of shares that are traded like stock. MLPs can access capital at a lower cost, and it's more liquid than traditional financing. This makes MLPs highly effective at attracting private investment. Under current law, though, MLPs are currently only available to investors in fossil fuel-based energy projects. The MLP Parity Act also includes a provision that would widen the scope of developments that qualify for MLP status that also would include energy-efficient buildings, waste, heat to power, carbon capture and storage, and biochemicals. Senator Coons 
a member of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, said in introducing the bill that it would generate private capital, create jobs, and modernize our tax code. Senator Kuhn said he believes that that is why this bill received bipartisan support. If you want to read the Master Limited Partnerships Parity Act, visit www.energytaxcredits.com. In historic tax credit news, first I have an update on the ongoing developments in the historic Boardwalk Hall court case. Last week, the Internal Revenue Service filed its response in the United States Supreme Court to the petition for writ of certiorari in historic Boardwalk Hall versus Commissioner. This case has had a significant impact on the historic tax credit community, so its consideration before the Supreme Court is an important ongoing development. You can find a copy of the IRS response online at www.historictaxcredits.com. Simply click on the Court Rulings button in the HTC menu. And if you have questions about how the facts and developments in the case might affect your own historic tax credit development, please contact my partner, Tom Bosha, in our Cleveland, Ohio office. Now I'd like to turn to the National Park Service. The National Park Service released its annual report on the Federal Historic Tax Credit last week. The data presented in the Federal Tax Incentives for Rehabilitating Historic Buildings Annual Report for fiscal year 2012, that's quite a long title, this report illustrates how the historic tax credit continues to prove itself to be an effective tool for economic development. The report includes facts and figures, case studies, and charts that show the historic tax credit's impact in 2012, as well as throughout the life of the program. According to the report, the historic tax credit has helped fund more than 38,700 developments and has generated more than $68 billion in investments since the program's inception in 1976. Now, here are some highlights from fiscal year 2012. 1,020 proposed historic tax credit developments were approved. This is up from 937 approved developments in fiscal year 2011. The projects generated $5.3 billion of investment to restore and rehabilitate historic buildings. In fiscal year 2012, historic tax credits created nearly 58,000 jobs and over 6,000 low- and moderate-income housing units. Of the 1,020 developments approved, 744 were completed, and $3.15 billion in rehabilitation work was certified in 2012. Development activity occurred in 49 states, Washington, D.C., and the Virgin Islands. And which of the states with the greatest number of approved projects? Well, the top four were Ohio with 123, Louisiana, 104, Virginia, 82, and Maryland with 62 projects. The report also describes how major events have affected the program over its lifetime. For example, changes in federal tax law in 1986 led to a dramatic decline in the estimated investment in new historic rehabilitation between fiscal year 1989 and fiscal year 1993. This trend was reversed in 1994 when the number of new developments started increasing until the amount of investment in new developments reached record heights in 2008. The report also notes that while the historic tax credit took a hit during the recent recession, the program showed signs of recovery in fiscal year 2012. The number of approved projects increased 9% during fiscal year 2012 and the number of investment dollars increased more than 30% last year, 
generating $5.33 billion of investment, which is the second highest investment total in program history. If you'd like to review the report yourself, go online to www.historictaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik & Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.